Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Now, think about that. Empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. That's the mission of our show in short. And that's my job is when you ask for advice, when you ask for information, that I actually give you stuff that you can use in your life. So what happens if I don't give you stuff you can use in your life? What if the stuff I give you think, hey, that's really dumb, Clark, or I think you're wrong. That's why we have Clark Stinks on Clark.com where you can go post where you feel I missed the mark. And you post away, people can read your posts, people can comment on what you've said, agree, disagree, whatever. And then weekly, producer Krista goes through your posts and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, I know you love it when people are upset with you. Well, because I deserve it, right? So this topic, um, there were several posts about, but I'm just going to read you this one that's representative. Clark, I am an avid listener who is frequently teased by my family members because I have a tendency to pass on your awesome consumer and financial gems. I'm really disappointed. As an HR professional, I was appalled by your brief segment on employer surveys. To make blanket statements suggesting that this communication resource is not anonymous, participants should only say nice things and honest feedback may target the participant for layoff is just irresponsible and breeds a toxic work environment. I can only conclude that you were hard up for content for that segment as your rant seemed uncharacteristically negative and offered no alternatives. If not through employer surveys, how do you suggest an employee provides feedback? Is your view that teammates, as our organization refers to employees, keeps their heads down and keep their mouths shut? That is what it sounded like to me. I have the impression that you've built a talented team that you highly appreciate. Since employer surveys are the scourge of the workplace, why not share some insights of how you encourage honest feedback and continuously drive improvement and change for your team? I'll be listening and look forward to some positive ideas. Thank you, and I appreciate that very much. The problem is, how does an employee know that a survey is truly anonymous? And I have unfortunately had too much feedback over the years where people suffered consequences for filling out employee surveys and suffering in the workplace because of it. So this is a a problem that... HR professionals have got to come up with a way of making sure there are clear, clear lines where a manager, a supervisor is not able to identify an individual who may have had a beef and written about it in a survey. And I I don't know how I can say something other than be very aware that there are employers that don't honor the confidentiality of employee surveys. Employee surveys, if they were truly anonymous and management really listened to the beefs of employees, I think that would be very valuable. But as long as employees have to fear that an employer might 
retaliate against them or a manager might retaliate against them, surveys become risky for an employee. And at Clark Howard, Inc., we do use um, anonymous employee surveys. We just started using those through SurveyMonkey, which offers you the option of making it anonymous. And uh, I control that, and it, it really is anonymous for us. We also continually ask for individual feedback and honesty from everybody on our team. Right. So uh, Krista, Krista's our COO of our enterprise. And so when you chose with SurveyMonkey whether you wanted it to be anonymous or not, mm-hmm. what disclosure is given to the employee? Is that at I'll your have to option? Go check. I'll have to go check. I'm not sure how they handled it, but I definitely chose anonymous and was not able to see anything, wouldn't have seen anything. And you can't change it back or anything once you've chosen that when you start a survey. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to use it. Okay. Not a plug for SurveyMonkey, but it was an, a nice feature. So why'd you call me aside and say, why did I say this, that, or the other in the oh, survey? Stop. Just kidding. Okay. Hi, Clark. This is in response to a recent podcast in which a mother called in asking how to help her young adult son establish credit. You gave some excellent advice, but missed mentioning a great way to help someone establish credit. This would work only if you have excellent credit yourself. I personally have a credit score of 800 plus. My son, who is 25, had no credit. Instead of him applying for a credit card with a yearly fee, which is often the only option for someone who has no credit or negative credit, I added him as an authorized user to my account called my credit card company before adding him to verify that they reported authorized users to the major credit agencies. Within six months, he went from zero credit to a score of 700 plus. Now he is in a position to apply for no free fee credit card of his own. Thank you for your service and great advice, Shelly. And Shelly, that is great advice you just gave. We talk about authorized users from time to time as a way to help someone establish credit. And that is uh, oversight on my part that I didn't mention it in the segment you heard. Seattle Minimum Wage Survey. Don't be in a hurry to throw the fundamental relationship between supply, demand, and price out the window. As a as another uh, poster noted, an economic intervention gives rise to a series of effects, some visible, others unseen. In the case of Seattle's minimum wage increase, the visible effect is that people who already had jobs at minimum wage saw their paychecks go up. The unseen effect, and it's not actually unseen, is in fact it's in the study but not in the headlines, is that more unemployed, unskilled workers looking for an entry-level job in Seattle find themselves priced out of the market than in any other areas where cost of hiring and training a new worker is lower. Yeah, and when I was, uh, I read a great deal of the the study the first time when I said, see, minimum wages hurt employment. And then the second time and read the authors saying, oh, wait, maybe we weren't so on the mark on this. And it's an area where I would say my certainty has been what's been shaken. So the jury's still out in my mind where before it wasn't on whether or not increases in the minimum wage ultimately hurt employment in the marketplace or actually help people receiving the minimum wage or in low-wage jobs that the pay rises, improving their lives, which is the best flip of that coin? You always tell parents the same thing about teen drivers. Our agent and another who was a friend told us to let our sons drive on our uninsured motorist portion of our insurance. It worked with both of them. We had to put one, one on our insurance after he had a fender bender, but that was three years later. Jim. 
Jim, I'm confused. I appreciate that suggestion, but I'm not quite sure how that works. If you don't mind posting again and giving more information about that, or I'd love to hear from some independent insurance agents on this conundrum I face with the rules and rates different in each state, what are the best suggestions I can give for a new teen driver being added to a family's insurance policy? What are the best ways to do that to keep the premiums down? I, I This is something that affected me when I talked to a gentleman who didn't know what to do with a son who was about to turn 16, driving age in his state, and they could not flat out afford the increase in insurance premiums. And I had to say, your son can't go ahead and get a regular driver's license, has to stay on a learner's permit. That's a pretty ridiculously bad answer I had to give. So I appreciate feedback with advice from people who live in the trenches of auto insurance every day. You told a person to take a monthly payment for his $12,000 state retirement liquidation. He was retiring. I suspect he won't have that option. Most state retirement plans have a minimum balance before you can elect payments. In our state, it's over $20,000 because I have that much and it says I don't meet the threshold. So your advice probably won't do him much good. I appreciate that. My recollection, I may be mixing two callers together, is the caller gave me what the monthly payment would be versus receiving the lump sum. So I think they were offered a monthly payout. But again, I may be remembering the wrong call. Clark, your anti-government bias stinks. It is the role of government to enact laws and restrictions when the actions of people have significant negative impact to others. When my neighbor decides to convert his house effectively into a hotel where people party every night, disregard the safety of the neighborhood, etc., it has a significant impact to myself and my neighbors. Just because I don't live in a condo complex or association neighborhood shouldn't make it okay to effectively rezone my street with a virtual hotel. Just because the hotel industry may support this side of the issue doesn't automatically make it the wrong thing for the government to take action. Thank you for that post. And the Airbnb issue is one that is really, really hard to get right. And the issue that the poster's addressing is that hotel chains have been funneling huge campaign contributions to elected officials to try to effectively outlaw Airbnb in communities. And having ground rules, having restrictions, I'm fine about that. And you, as someone who's directly affected by craziness at a property that is hurting your quality of life in your neighborhood, you need to get organized, get your neighbors organized, and get to your elected officials about putting in reasonable restrictions. It is the, for me, it's about the hotel industry trying to prevent an alternative way for people to stay somewhere and provide an outlet for competition that gets me fired up. Hey, Clark, you don't stink. In fact, after listening to you for several years, you've saved me literally thousands of dollars. But I'm surprised that when you talk about the Charles Schwab debit card that doesn't charge ATM fees, that you don't also mention that the purchase limit on the card can be set to $0 as a way to protect from the from fraudulent transactions. This has the effect of turning the debit card into an ATM card, 
Mike in Louisville, Kentucky. Mike, thank you for that suggestion. It's one that comes up from time to time in conversation with people on the show. Um, debit cards that have a Visa or MasterCard logo, I call piece of trash fake Visas and fake MasterCards because they have great risk to you. But if you do set the point of sale purchase amount at zero, it means effectively the card can only be used at ATMs, which eliminates the high level of risk that comes with piece of trash, fake visas, and fake MasterCards. Clark doesn't stink. You just forget things you already taught us. I got a second credit card only for automatic monthly payments years ago based on your recommendation. Yet when people have called recently with problems when their credit card gets compromised, you have not been recommending that they have one credit card for monthly payments and a separate one for carrying in your wallet. Thank you for mentioning it again. You know what happens doing the show is there are things I don't want to sound where I just repeat the same things again and again. And so uh, not knowing when people listen, when they have not, and maybe that is one I need to mention more often with all the compromising of credit card numbers in the marketplace, that it is a fantastic idea to have a single card never used for any other purchases other than automatic payments so you don't have to deal with having to update your account number for every automatic payment you have every time a card gets compromised from online shopping or in physical stores. Great suggestion. I appreciate your passion and the variety of issues you bring to the table as part of Clark Stinks. Janice joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Janice. Hi, Clark. Janice, you're going to redo your kitchen. I am. Well, good. Yeah. Um, My question is really about where to keep short-term money that I want to use in about a year, between the next one and three years. Um, CD rates keep going up, 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 but if I buy a CD, then I'm locked into a lower rate and I have to pay a penalty to move to a higher-paying CD. Um, And there's no reason to do the CD right now because savings rates on regular savings accounts and money market accounts have been climbing so much. I'm looking at the current list up to this moment, Mm -hmm. and there are a number of organizations paying north of 2% just on simple savings. Mm -hmm. Uh, The highest right now paying around two and a quarter, I think. Yeah, around two and a quarter. So you can stash your savings in there. The Federal Reserve it may raise interest rates as, as many as two more times this year, maybe one, possibly two. And every time they do, they go up a quarter point. The amount you earn on these online savings accounts almost certainly mirrors what the Federal Reserve does. So if you go into a simple savings or a money market, at two point something percent, you're going to outrun the CDs with the increases in rates that the Federal Reserve clearly intends to do. I can get from my credit union a three-year CD for two point five, or a wouldn't do it. CD for three point What's the three point uh, Five-year. I definitely wouldn't do either of those. Really? Yeah. If you go online and the easiest searchable database that I know of is bankrate.com. Mm-hmm. You can go there and you can click on savings rates 
and they'll show you these online banks that are offering the highest rates in the country. And that's what I do. Floating rate right now is what works. You know, when interest rates are falling, that's when you want to lock in a CD. When interest rates are rising, that's when you want to go in a straight savings account or money market. Okay, that's a good point. And you just link it to your account with whatever, um, with the credit union you're with, and you're able to move the money back and forth as you need. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that would be the best answer. I understand. Thank you. And I hope that the remodel goes really well, Janice. I have good news followed by good news followed by good news. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. So gas prices that have been much, much higher than they were a year ago in a lot of places in the country, somewhere in the range of maybe 50 cents a gallon higher, those prices just in the last few weeks have started to come down. And drops of, from between fill-ups, drops of 10 cents a gallon, not at all unusual in a lot of places in the U.S. And the reason is the price of a barrel of oil has dropped by an enormous amount just in the last few weeks from about, depending, you know, the common measurement in the United States is something called WTI, West Texas Intermediate, and that's dropped from $77 a barrel to 64 And that indirectly, very quickly translates into a lower cost per gallon as we move into the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, driving season as people go to visit family and friends it's a real positive development for your wallet as you go to fill up but that's not even the great news all that has come about because the united states just reported by bloomberg the united states just became the world's largest oil producer the top in the world in the most recent reporting period, which is the month of September. So October number's obviously not out yet here in November, but in September, we are the top dog in the world. And this has so many implications for national security, where we are not able to be held over a barrel like we used to be, And this is because of the tremendous benefits of hydraulic fracking from the Canadian border in North Dakota all the way down to the Mexican border in Texas, that we are now a powerhouse in generating oil, energy supplies, natural gas, and it's changed the equation for us in terms of strength in the world. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that we will hit peak oil production from fracking in the next several years. And that's why I'm such a fan of us continuing the trend of energy independence in the United States with electric vehicles. We're very close to the breakthroughs with lower and lower cost of batteries that manufacturing an electric vehicle and selling it will be cheaper 
than manufacturing a traditional gas engine vehicle and selling it. And not to mention electric vehicles are so much more fun to drive. But for you and your wallet, this is an early Christmas gift and you'll be able to take advantage of that. Here's the thing, though. In a time of, of falling prices, going to what's known as a pumper will give you the savings in your wallet a lot quicker. If you're not familiar with what a pumper is, pumper is an ultra-busy, ultra-high-volume gas station, like a Quick Trip, a Wawa, a Sheets, Costco, Sam's Club, the places that sell massive volumes of gas, even getting multiple shipments of gasoline trucks per day, those are the places in a declining price market where you see those price drops the fastest. Rick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Doing good today, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. Rick, you have an unusual question to ask me, and let's see if I can be of service to you. All righty. So my wife passed away of 23 years, and uh, she had a niece on her side of the family that she was very, very close with. Well, um, she's getting married, and she had asked me to officiate the wedding. Um, I live in North Carolina. She lives in Florida. Um, and I did see some stuff out there online that, that could make this possibly happen, but um, didn't know which ones were legit, and I just wanted to get your thoughts. Well, first of all, I want to express my sympathies to you over the loss of your wife of 23 years. Thank you. That's a lot to deal with. And yeah. what a touching thing that her niece wants you to be there and be the one who officiates over the wedding and the wedding will take place in florida not north carolina correct so each state has rules about who can become uh, the wedding efficient as it's called i hope i pronounced that right and in florida there's a new law that that was passed a relatively new law that restricts who can actually perform wedding ceremonies. And so what I would recommend to you, normally in most states what people do, is they just sign up for one of those online ministry things that you've probably seen a ton of. And right. in most states, that would make you considered to be legally a minister and able to perform a wedding. What I recommend is that you talk to the clerk's office in the county in Florida where she's going to get married. Okay. And say that you are a minister of the church of whatever, just one of the ones you found online. And is that sufficient for you as someone coming in to officiate a wedding in Florida as a North Carolina resident. Just get the yay or nay on that because what a lot of people do in Florida is they become a notary public and then they're able to officiate on a wedding, over a wedding. But I don't even know what the procedure would be with you living in North Carolina uh, doing one as notary public in Florida. And that's not a difficult procedure to become a notary public. Right, right. But okay. that's why I'd call that's why I'd call the clerk of court and okay. see what hoops they want you to jump through. I understand. Now All the right, other let me tell you the other way it can be done, okay? Uh-huh. The other thing 
is they can go, they've got to go apply for a marriage license anyway at the clerk of court. They can just get uh, married there, but then you do the wedding that people look at as the official one, and you officiate over that, and you don't have to have any title or anything to do that because they would have already uh, been married officially at the courthouse. Right. I understand. So either, either of those ways would work. All right. Great. Thank you very much. And I hope it's an absolutely joyous occasion. I'm sure it will be. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Sarah is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Certainly. Sarah, you I... have decided you want to go back to school again. I don't know why, but yes, I did decide that. <laughs> uh, tell me about that. So I have decided to switch careers now at uh, 32 years old, go back to school, um, and finish something I had actually started earlier in life. Uh, I would start school January, this coming January of 19. I would graduate with my RN in August of 2020, Um, so be about 20 months in school. Um, I will be quitting my job starting January when I start school just so I can go all the way through. And because of that, we're looking at different options for loans. Um, I have already gone through the process with financial aid and gotten approved for my government loans and then also had to take out Sally uh, May loans. We don't qualify for any grants um, or any you know, tuition assistance or anything like that since I have my husband's income. Um, but I also was wondering if there was any other options for loans. Um, we have about 100000 in home equity right now, so I didn't know if we could possibly take out a home equity loan or you know, any other sort of loans with a lower interest rate and then also a way to defer payments until I graduate. Okay, that was a lot to ask me all at once. You are really, <laughs> no, you are really organized. How much in total are you going to need to borrow to reach the point that you're an RN? School alone will be 33000 And that's all I want to take out just to pay and, for And that's school. not terrible. No, not at all. All right, so I want to talk about alternatives. If you're that close to having an RN, do you have any other nursing designation like LPN or APN or anything like that that you already have qualified for? I do not. Okay. Do you even know why I was asking that? I have no idea. (laughs) Well, because I was... As I was noodling this, I was wondering with a lot of the hospitals facing and nursing homes facing shortages of nurses, that if you had any professional designation, you might be able to work very part-time and have them potentially subsidize your time in school. Okay. But you, you have, at this point, two years in nursing school. Is that about where you are? I actually went to school for um, for dentistry to begin with. So I'm currently a dental assistant, and because of that, a lot of the prereqs for nursing school are finished. So I'm just basically oh. starting clinicals, and then I will graduate. Wow, the plot thickens. Okay, so <laughs> so you're not in a position that somebody's going to want to say, "Yeah, we want to we want to have you when you finish." So we're going to do some stuff to help you now. So right. you're. Your loans do not allow you for the private loans. And Sally May is not government anymore. They're related to government loans. They're private loans. Okay. 
And I would encourage you to shop around for the loans that you're considering taking out privately. Okay. And not necessarily accept that the ones that Sally Mae is offering you are the best. Okay. And there are so many different lenders you can go to for the private loans. You want to see what is going to be the lowest out there. The private loans do not normally give you any form of payment holiday. They charge interest and you have to make payments while you're in school, which is what you've already heard and you're looking for a way around that, right? Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're, we're looking for since I don't want to have to pay anything while in school since I am cutting out my income. So That would be ideal. Crazy question. Is there any chance you could work even uh, fill in as a dental hygienist since that's a skill you already have and it pays pretty well that would allow you to at least be able to service the, the loans that you do have to service while you're in school? There is a possibility of that. I'm just unsure because my with my schedule, since I'm doing it in a, a pretty quick way, it's, it's going to be the semester after semester. I have three in a year. Um, my semester changes every four months. So because of that, I cannot guarantee my office my hours. Uh-huh. And right now they're going to try to, you know, do whatever they can with me where I would be able to work, you know, a little. But, you know, it's, it's very hard because I could find out a week before that that next semester my clinicals will change. All right. So here's what I would do. Yeah. Here's what I would do. With the equity you okay. have in your home, set yeah. up a home equity line of credit. Okay. And... On it, there's very, very little that has to be paid as you might have to draw against it. Okay. You can go with the private student loans if you want, or you could, for the amount you need of the 33 past, what you can borrow under the federal loan program, you could just Mm -hmm. borrow it against the home equity line. Because at first, for a number of years, you only have to pay the interest, no principal on it. Okay. So those payments would be fairly low then. Exactly. And the interest rate charged on the home equity line of credit floats, but it's likely to be lower typically than what you'll find on the private student loans. Okay. And you're not putting enough of your house at risk with this borrowing that it makes me nervous about you borrowing additional money against your home. Correct. I should mention, too, we have it, my husband works in finance, so we have it set up to where once I graduate, my loans, the entire, like the entire amount will be paid off within um, two years. Yeah, so that's so perfect. Have, that's perfect. We so, have that set up. Okay. Yeah, so I would, do, I would do the federal borrowing, skip the private student loans unless you find some kind of extreme deal on a fixed rate, likely not. Do the home equity line of credit for the balance. You're going to pay it off in a quick cycle after graduation anyway, And I think that'll work really well, and you'll be in your new career path that you're looking so forward to. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mary's about to join us on the Clark Howard Show, but I just wanted to give an update on something I told you the other day that's kind of crazy. I talked about how Uber and Lyft are doing free rides to the poll on Tuesday, but they're only giving rides to the polls. You have to get home on your own. So it's basically half price to the polls. And Mary, how are you doing? And welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Thank you, Clark. I'm doing very well. Um, thank you for taking my call. Certainly. My question is about reward credit cards. We have a couple current cards that we use and we pay everything with them and then we pay them off each month. I'd like to get a third one because the two we have are kind of the same company. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I go through all the information out there on reward credit cards, it seems like it gets into, you know, you have 90 days to transfer balance interest-free. And I'm not interested in that. I'm just wondering which is a really good one just for cash rewards. For cash, there are two that I'm aware of that are the best in the market. And one of them is from Citibank. The two cards you have already, they're not from Citibank, are they? No. Okay, the reason I ask that is I really want you to be diversified where your credit comes from. The Citibank double cash card pays you effectively 2% on everything you charge. You don't have to worry about categories, anything like that. It's just a straight 2%. And 2% is very generous. The other 2% card is from Fidelity Investments. Do you happen to have any kind of accounts at Fidelity? No. Okay. So uh, just for others' information, if you have accounts at Fidelity, it's great to get the Fidelity card because you get 2% in cash or into a college savings plan or retirement plan or whatever. But in your case, since you don't do business with Fidelity... The city double cash is the best there is. And Joel, I think we can slip in and ask Clark right here. All right, Clark, let's do it. Fred wrote in and said, I've been hearing ads for something called home title lock coverage. Is this necessary or is that just another scam I need to avoid? It's not a scam. It's uh, an expense that I don't think provides the protection that it's being marketed as. Uh, There's a problem that is rare but awful when it happens where people try to steal ownership of your home and unfortunately because in a lot of jurisdictions in the country record keeping is rather slow the coverage that's being marketed here will not necessarily protect you and we had it evaluated independently by two different real estate lawyers and neither knew we were talking to the other and they both said emphatically that they don't recommend this coverage. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.